Thanks, Jessica. Sorry about the uh, video. The video actually was the social worker at Briarwood sharing from last year, sharing about the difference we've made in their community. And it really encouraging to hear her talk about how we've come alongside them in these practical ways, but also how we've supported them financially, families at the school that have been going through difficult times. And the school has finances to help them, but sometimes there's gaps or time to wait in between. And so our church has been able to step in through our benevolent fund and help out families that are there. So just really exciting. It's so good to be together this morning to to worship God, to hear the difference God is making in our neighborhood because we're here, because we're in the neighborhood. And it's just exciting to hear. I love Sunday mornings. I don't know about you, but I love Sunday mornings, getting together, seeing you. Even if you're online this morning, I mean, we are glad that you're here. We're glad to be together. It feels a lot different on Sundays for me than it does on Mondays. I don't know about you with Mondays, but Mondays are a tougher day for me. I'm usually a little bit more tired, a little bit harder time getting into the week. I want to start just by reading some words of someone going through their own Monday struggle. Um, And here's what they wrote. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. My longings lie open before you, Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. This is somebody on Monday morning, at least my opinion, when I hear these words. (laughs) These are words actually found in the Bible, written by David. He was a shepherd, a poet, a warrior. He became king of the people of Israel. And he wrote about his experience in life and how he felt like everything around him was falling apart. It was like the worst Mondays he'd ever had. And he's saying, I I feel it in my body. I feel it in my heart. I feel it in my relationships. Everything around me seems difficult and dark. And he says, my strength is failing. He says, I don't have enough to get me through. I can't pull myself through this time. It's failing me. It's, I'm defeated. He says, things are haunting me. Even my neighbors are giving me space. They don't even want to hang out with me because how bad my life is going. Failure. No one wants to be in those places of failure. This last week, Haven was catching me up on her grades, how things are going in high school for her. You guys remember getting grades for stuff? Remember that? Uh, I remember back in elementary school, and it was uh, number grades. You know, one, two, three, four, five. One was like, eh, not doing so good. Two, getting a little better. Three, okay. Four, good job. You know, that was kind of the scale. And then somewhere in, in sixth or seventh grade, they shifted over to the, the letter grades. And the big one, F, you know, for fail. I remember when I would get... F's, I would think, I'm not just a failing on that. I I am a failure. You know, that's kind of how it felt. I was so glad that the schools decided to wait to put those grades on us until we were like 13, 14. Those years when we're so stable and secure (laughs) in who we are, you know, we've got everything figured out. We can handle the F. Um, You know, I remember being in like second grade, getting a one. I'd be like, I'm number one. All right. You know, (laughs) felt a lot different from an F. Um, but as adults, we, we still fail, right? I mean, we still go through times, no one's given us a grade, but we, we know it. We go into conversations hoping things will go a certain way, and they don't play out that way. Like, I failed at that conversation. We, we don't meet the expectations of our bosses at work or sometimes others in our lives that have expectations for us. We don't even meet our own expectations. There's times when we're struggling with, with doubt and frustration, and we just feel like we're failing ourselves, relationships fail, finances fail, religion fails. It's just F, 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 you know, 
that's kind of how it feels sometimes in our adult lives. What is God doing when we are failing? What is he up to? Where is he in those moments in our lives? David writes in the psalm that we just read in Psalm 38, he says, come quickly to help me, my Lord and my Savior. He says, God, you've got to show up. You've got to save me. And the question we're left with is, did God show up for David? Will he show up for us when we are failing? Moses had to deal with this as well. We're spending this fall looking at the life of Moses and uh, the things we can learn from his, his real life, the things that he went through. We've called these conversations wandering, not lost, because Moses knew where he was going. He knew the destination, a land of promise and hope. He was guiding the people there, but their, their journey to this place, it looked like wandering a lot of the time. It was a 40-year-long process of God taking their enslaved hearts and minds and giving them a new way of life as as children of God, those who have experienced the grace and the love of God. There's a new way to live, God is saying, and it's going to take some time for us to get there. And it looked like wandering, but we know in the background there was something else going on. God was recreating them. And, And the first step for them to start moving into this process was freedom. They were slaves in Egypt, and they had to come out of that slavery to begin to grow and change and encounter God in new ways. So Moses' first job was to go back to Egypt and talk to Pharaoh and say, you've got to let the people of Israel go. You've got to let your workforce, your national workforce, who's doing, they're doing all the work for you. They're building all your cities, all your monuments. You're going to have to let them go and lose them. Now Pharaoh, uh, the people of Egypt, they saw Pharaoh as a god. I mean, he was their leader, but he saw that they saw him as a god. And, and actually, he saw himself that way most of the time. As a God. And so if you're going to go to a God and tell him what to do, that's, that's not easy. And God, this is exactly what the one true God told Moses to do. So if you've got a Bible with you, you want to open up, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 7 this morning, uh, chapter 7 and 8 actually. We're going to look at several scenes in this initial part of the story that we refer to as the plagues, these, these 10 terrible uh, realities that came down on the people of Egypt to get Pharaoh's attention, to wake them up to the fact that there is a God who is not Pharaoh. There is a God who is greater than all the gods of Egypt. And Moses got to participate in what God was doing. God shifted chemistry and biology and meteorology and and astronomy. All of these things he shifted so that Pharaoh would wake up and pay attention. And he summed it up in chapter 7 here of Exodus, verse 5. Why is God doing all of this? Why are all these hardships coming on the people? Verse 5 God says to them, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and I bring the Israelites out of it. God says, they're going to have to go through all of this because I want them to know that I am God. So he tells Moses and Aaron, Moses is about 80 years old right now. His number two, Aaron, is about 83. He says, I want you to go. I want you to do some incredible things. I want you to wake them up and let them know that I mean business. So look down at verse 8 of chapter 7 in Exodus here. Exodus 7, verse 8. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials and it became a snake. Now Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers And the Egyptian magicians also did the same thing by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord 
had said. God says, Moses, Aaron, I want you to do something incredible so they'll know that there's one true God. The staff becomes a snake. But then the other Egyptian magicians, these people were able to do the same thing. They threw down their staffs and, and, and they became snakes as well. Now, it tells us that Aaron's staff snake, you know, went over and ate their staff snakes, you know. So we're, we're told right there that there is a greater power going on. You know, there's an end game here. We're given a little hint to that. But Pharaoh's not impressed. He's like, oh, you did it, but my guys did it too. So I'm not impressed. You're not, you know, I'm not going to really listen to what you have to say. So look down in verse 20. God begins to move from these signs, these, these impressive physical displays of his power. And he now moves into what we call the plagues because now these physical signs bring with them pain and suffering for the people in Egypt. There's human results here because of the plagues. Verse 20 of chapter 7, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. Again, that phrase is repeated. You'll see it several times. They're doing exactly what God has told them to do. Aaron raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials, and he struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. And this is a terrible plague. We need water to survive, right? All the water turns to blood, and the fish are dying. That's the staple they used for, for food. And so the people are beginning to suffer because of this plague. Verse 22 but the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Now, we see it play out again here. They do the exact same thing. Now, you could argue it would have been more impressive if they had turned the blood back into water, right? I mean, that's what the people needed. All they did was take any of the water they maybe could scrounge up, and they turned that into blood too. Oh, well, thanks a lot. You know, not what Pharaoh really wanted. But they're doing the same things that God was doing through his power. And I'm thinking Moses and Aaron are watching this play out and beginning to wonder what's happening here. I want to enter into this story a little bit. Use your imagination. How do you think Moses and Aaron are feeling? As God has said, here's what I want you to do to display my power. And they do exactly what he's asked them to do. And instead of his power being put on display, it wasn't a moment. But then the next moment, the Egyptian magicians are doing the same thing. They're recreating the same things. Pharaoh's not impressed. His heart doesn't change at all. I have to think that Moses and Aaron are beginning to wonder, okay, God, what's happening? Are, are we missing something? Uh, am I messing up, Moses is thinking? Am I failing in some way? Do I not have enough faith? What, nothing's changing yet. What's the story here, God? What are you doing? I'm just wondering out loud with you. I would start to feel anxious if I was Moses and Aaron as this is playing out. Let's go to the next plague. Maybe things are going to change. Exodus chapter 8, verse 6, the plague of the frogs. Verse 6, so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up onto the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Third time, third, it's the exact same thing again. They recreate what is miraculous, more frogs. Now, again, I would argue maybe it had been better if they would have made the frogs disappear. I mean, that's what Pharaoh needed, but they create more frogs. And you see Pharaoh sort of responds. There's a little bit of an inkling that he's beginning to understand that there's something at work here that's more powerful than him where he needs help. He goes to Moses and Aaron and says, I need your help. Would you pray to your God that these frogs might be removed for us? When we moved into our house here in Kansas, there's a little pond in the backyard. 
So we kind of enjoy, have enjoyed that pond. A couple weeks after we moved in, Haven and I were out there, and we heard something moving through the grass, and then a big splash into the pond. And we thought, frog, right? So whenever you know there's a frog around you, you have to catch it. I mean, that's just kind of the rule, I think. So we ran and got a flashlight and a net, and we captured that frog. And I mean, he was big. He had these strong legs, really cool. We let him go. You know, it wasn't dinner or anything like that. But it was just really, you know, it was amazing to see him. One frog is fun. Millions of frogs, not so much. I mean, you, you have to imagine what this was like. There's frogs in their beds. There's frogs in their bathroom. They're trying to cook dinner. There's frogs hopping into the food. They're dying left and right. This is a miserable plague. And Pharaoh is feeling, he says, you've got to pray and take these things away. Look at verse 9. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave, it, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Moses is like, you, you let me know. When do you want this to happen? Verse 10, right at the beginning. Pharaoh says, tomorrow. How about, how about tomorrow? What a strange, I mean, he could have said, now, please. This instant, I want them gone. They're, they're terrible. Get them out. And he says, I think I can do one night with frogs. I think, I think I can handle them for one. I mean, maybe they'll take care of themselves, right? Maybe something else will happen. I won't have to humble myself and acknowledge that I need your God to step in. How about we do it tomorrow? This is just an aside, but, but how often do we do this to God? You say, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to be about? How, how would you help me to choose in this situation? And God gives us guidance. His word speaks to us. We say, oh, I see now what you want. Or a friend who's a, a trusted follower of Jesus sits with us and says, I think God would have you do this. Or even just the spirit of God impresses on your heart. Here's what I'd have you do. And you say, okay, how about I do that tomorrow? <laughs> how about I give it one more day? I'm just going to stay in what I think is the best way to go, and I'm just going to wait. On how often does our stubbornness and our pride get in the way of the good things that God wants to do in our lives? We, we say tomorrow, don't we? Moses waits a day and then prays and brings an end to the frogs, but Pharaoh, he relents. As soon as there's relief, he says, forget it, you guys can't go. You're going to have to stay. I'm not letting you away. And again, I want you to imagine Moses and Aaron, what they're experiencing. Three times, they've done exactly what God called them to do. Each time, the magicians do the same act of power, the same miraculous thing. It looks like failure to me. I mean, they might be saying, do we not have enough faith? Is our ability falling short? What is the problem? Because it doesn't seem like it's working out the way they thought it would. How many times have we taken a step towards, towards something new or risky, believing that everything was going to work out okay, that God was going to be able to handle the scary stuff, and we find ourselves failing, and God's not showing up, and we wonder, what is he doing? I've done what I thought I was supposed to do, believing that God had it all covered, only to find myself hurting and in pain, failing at life. I've entered conversations, hopeful and believing that God's going to bring clarity, and walked away feeling like we didn't get anything accomplished. I've set budgets with God and said, okay, you've got to fill the gap. I mean, we're kind of trusting you with faith that this is going to be supplied, and then it didn't come through, and we had to adjust and go back and re remake budgets, and it's like, ah, I thought it was going to happen. Who failed us here? Have you ever taken on a new project or business or dream full of hope and confidence only to find yourself struggling and, and failing just months later? No one wants to fail. No one wants to be a failure. But most of us have experienced those times. What is God doing in those moments? Sometimes we just can't see it. But what I do know is that God is with us no matter what. 
that when we're facing those times of challenge, when it doesn't look like things are adding up right, God is with us in it. And there's nothing that can separate us from God. There's no place we can go where he is not. There is no time in life when we're in these times of failure when God is surprised and not sure what to do. He is with us, and we can trust him even when we're experiencing failure. He's not, he's not scared about that. He's not flinching. He's with us. Hundreds of years later, after these stories with Moses and Aaron, the king of the Israelites, a man named Solomon, stood before the people as they were dedicating this amazing temple to God in the huge capital of Jerusalem, in the promised land, right in the heart of the promised land. And he stood before the people and he, he talked about how God was so good and he was recounting the story of the people. And in 1 Kings 8, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. What made the difference between Exodus 7 and 8 with Moses and Aaron and then what Solomon had to say to the people? Why did it look like failure here and glory over here? What was the difference? It was time, right? It was time for God to reveal, for God to work, for God to bring all things through, all things towards the good that he has for us. God reveals what might look like failure right now could be glory later. What's painful and meaningless right now could be strength and hope later because our failure is never final with God. Our failure is never final. God is still at work in you and in me and in us. He is still moving and bringing power and clarity. He's bringing what is needed. His power is carrying us through even when we can't see it, especially when we can't see it. Our failure is not final. I want to look at one more scene in this drama with Moses and the plagues back in chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 16. The next plague, the next terrible thing that comes on the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. So they did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. Can you imagine? Like dust is everywhere, right? All of it became gnats. But, verse 18, when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Since the gnats were on the people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. This is the finger of God. What kind of power does God have? There's times in Scripture where God is given these physical attributes. We know that God is spirit. He doesn't have a body. But Scripture will sometimes talk about him in a way so that we can understand. It gives him physical attributes like in this story right here. When this happens, it's called the anthropomorphism. That's a big word, right? Anthropomorphism. Can you say that with me? Anthropomorphism. Crossword puzzle later today. I bet you're going to need that one. Impress your friends this week. It's, it's when uh, physical attributes are given to God to, to help us understand him. Because we, we just, he's a mystery to us. We can't get our minds around him. And so sometimes when scripture talks about the power of God, talks about his mighty arm or his hand, the power of his hand or, or his finger in this story, the finger of God. These are images of the power of God that is available to us. He may not be a physical person 
in our lives, but he, he has arms, he has power, he can do things in our world. The power of God is revealed to us, it surrounds us. The finger of God, it's the same finger that was used later in Exodus to write the Ten Commandments. We're told it was the finger of God that wrote the Ten Commandments. And Psalm 8, the finger of God, shows up in creation. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place, God's creative action took place through his fingers. And in the New Testament, it shows up as well. Jesus once said, but if I cast out demons with the finger of God, Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is the power that God offers to us to help us rise above those times of failure, to help us move through them, to see that he has not abandoned us, but he is still here. He is still working. The Egyptian magicians stand before stubborn Pharaoh and they point to heaven. They say, this is the finger of God. You might be a God, Pharaoh, small g, But this is the finger of God, all capitals, capital G, capital O, capital D. He is the one in charge. He is the one who has, there's more power in his little finger than all the other gods in in Egypt. And Pharaoh, well, he still doesn't relent, does he? He continues to push. It would take a long time for him to get to a place where he'd release the people. You know, 10 plagues total. Several weeks of this kind of hardship upon his nation. Next week, we're going to look at the 10th plague. The Jewish people call it the Passover, and we're going to look at that next week. But I'd like to think that it's in this moment when the magicians can't do it, and they say, this is God. There there is a God, and this is his power. I'd like to think it's in this moment when Moses and Aaron start to say, okay, okay, I see. It's not all failure. It's God's using it. It's not over yet. There's more to the story. We just had to wait a little bit longer. We had to allow a little bit more time. It may take some time, but the power of God is not going to let us down. What feels like failure will not be final. And, and we need to hear this today. We really need to hear this because many of us have faced failure. Many of us have struggled in life with relationships, with conversations, hardship that comes across our path. And we need to be reminded that the story's not done yet. The power of God is available to us. He is still at work. And what might appear like failure will actually be transformed into something else that reveals the light and the love of God in your life and in his church. Hillcrest, you've been through a season. We've been through a season that maybe you would say, it looks like failure to me. It looks like we failed. And God says, the story's not over yet. It's not final. Hear these words from Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. This is the power that we're talking about. It is still at work in us. More than we could even imagine, God is ready to do something new in us. We have to hold on to that truth today. I want to encourage you to hold on to that. And I also want to encourage you to put yourself in places where you might fail. Because we're not afraid of failure. Because it's not final. It's not the end of the story. We're not afraid of it. And actually, when we risk, when we push ourselves into situations where we might fail, that's actually where we can see new growth in our lives. See God do incredible things. See character develop. See the fruits of the Spirit start to come out. See people come to know Jesus for the first time because we took some risks and we stepped out in faith. I think about Peter in the New Testament. As one of the followers of Jesus, the beginning of his walk with Jesus, it was just filled with failure, left and right. He was called out of that boat on the Sea of Galilee and put on the streets in Jerusalem, and and God said, 
Peter, you're going you're gonna to share the good news about Jesus. Jesus came and he died and he rose again. And you're going to talk to people about the kingdom of God coming to earth and, and how they can have new life in me. And for Peter to move from the boat to the streets there, it took some failure. He had to go through some things. His first failure was a scary swimming lesson on the sea, right? When he was out in the boat and the waves were crashing and Jesus came walking out and said, come on out, Peter, walk with me. And he, he stepped out of that boat, took some shaky steps, and then he began to see the wind and he began to sink in the water. And Jesus reached out and saved him and got him back into the boat. And I, I just think about his other 11 friends sitting on the boat, watch him, watching him fail, kind of nudging each other. Look at him, you know, it looked like failure to them. When he tried to defeat, uh, d- defend Jesus by cutting off the ear of one of the people that came to arrest him, Jesus said, put your sword away. That's not what we're about, Peter. Come on. When he promised Jesus loyalty, he fell on his faith. Three times he denied Jesus. And Jesus looked him right in the eye after that last one. Remember that story? When he tried to give advice to Jesus about strategy, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Remember? You're the devil's advocate. Felt like failure. It took some time, but eventually Peter's faith and his boldness, his loyalty, his wisdom began to grow, and he became a leader in the church because he he went into things that looked like failure, but that failure wasn't final, and Jesus wasn't surprised. Jesus knows that when we try something new and we engage in new things, it often gets worse before it gets better. We often have to learn some things. We have to grow in some new ways. Jesus will lead us towards growth, and growth requires risk, and with risk, there's always a potential for failure. So you could say that Jesus will always lead us towards failure, because he wants us to grow. He wants us to see him doing new things in us. One of my favorite authors writes about this in a book called The Me I Want to Be. He says, when we start to do the things God has called us to do, it might not look all that pretty. He says, if you haven't been confronting when you should, and you begin, you're going to do it badly at first. If you've rarely encouraged people your initial attempts may be clumsy. If you've never shared your faith with someone, the first time you do it, you may stumble all over yourself. It's not going to look great at first, but that's what growth looks like when we engage in new activities, when we face these times of failure, that that we can grow in new ways. It might look bad from the outside, but we know that God is not done. Our failure is not final. He's continuing to do new things. So here's my challenge for you this morning. If you're feeling stuck spiritually, if you're kind of coasting or you feel like, you know what, God, I haven't heard from you lately. I don't know what you, what you want me to be about. I, I'm not sensing your presence in my life or your power. I want to encourage you. Maybe you need to take some risks. Maybe you need to push yourself out there a little bit more where only God can show up and help out. Maybe you need to respond to the calling he's put on your heart and on your life to love someone well, to to speak some words of grace to someone else, to forgive when it's been difficult to do that. Maybe there's a risk that God's calling you to take. And I'd rather you risk it and fail than to stay stuck spiritually. So my challenge for you this morning is, when God's called you to move and you know it, then move. Do what he's calling you to do. Don't say, how about tomorrow? You know, don't do that. Respond to what the Spirit is prompting you to today. There might be failure, but that's not going to be final. And the other thing I want to say this morning to encourage you is that some of you this morning, you're hearing what we're talking about and you're like, Nate, I am a failure. You know, have you seen my life? Have you seen the th- last week? Did you see what happened two years ago? I'm still dealing with the consequences. Failures all around me. I just want to encourage you this morning that God's not done yet. And that sitting around you in this room are people that have gone through the same things. I've failed. Those around you have failed. We've been there. You're not alone in this. It might feel like it but you're not. 
That's why we invite people to come up and pray every Sunday so that you can be reminded that you're not alone, that we are with you, that we want to support you. We invite you to fill out those little connection cards and write down a prayer request because we want to pray with you and encourage you. Remember that you're not alone in failure and that your failure is not final. God is still at work. And I think about the one we follow. I think about Jesus. When he hung on that cross, that had to look like failure. When people were mocking him and spitting on him and fighting over his clothes, it it didn't look like he was winning, right? It looked like failure. But it wasn't the end of the story. Jesus understands when we go through times of failure. He understands what that feels like. And he knows that the story isn't done. Jesus walked out of the tomb three days later. He defeated death. Your failure is not final either. God is still at work. You're following someone who understands. And you're surrounded by people who have been there. So be encouraged this morning. Let's ask God to remind us of this truth. Let's invite him to speak to us and call us out. I want to invite you to pray with me. I want to invite the worship team to come up as we're praying. And we're going to sing together as well. But let's talk to God together. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are here with us right now. And Jesus, we thank you that you are the power of God on display, that you showed us what God can do when you walked out of death and conquered death. The power that rose you back to life is the same power that is available to us today, the finger of God that can give us strength to face the hardships around us. Father, I pray especially for anyone this morning that is just feeling like a failure. They don't know what you're doing. They don't see where you're calling them. They're not sure what this season of life is all about. Father, would you take care of them this morning? Would you encourage them? Would you shelter them? Would you remind them that you are present with them and that you love them and that failure is never final? And Lord, for those of us that need a a nudge, those of us that know what you'd have us do, but we're stalling out, we're not engaging in it, would you push us a little bit this morning, Father? Would you remind us that when we take a risk, that you grow us in new ways, that we get to see you in powerful ways and join you in your work in this world when we step out and take a risk for you. That's using our time or our energy, our money, Lord, whatever that looks like when we take those risks because you've invited us to, Lord. We're going to see you on display, so help us to face it. We just say this morning out loud, Father, we're not afraid of failure because it's never final. We're not afraid to risk things for you because you are good and present and faithful and your power is what we need. We thank you for it this morning, Father God. And we pray it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.